Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. We can move forward with our conversation. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I, I looked at those ginormous snowflakes and I can see the, the incredible detail and care that you put into every bit of your creation, even things that we normally cannot see with our, with our eyes. And I am, I am astounded at your creativity your generosity, your artistry. I, Lord, you are beautiful. And everything you do is beautiful. And Lord, I just pray that as we go back to the Sermon on the Mount again this morning, Lord, that you would do beautiful things in us. That the words of Jesus would move because they are alive. This is the living word that it would move by the power of your spirit within us to till up fallow ground, to awaken us to things that are dead within us and to bring healing to places that are broken. Lord, we trust your word. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign to do whatever you want to do this morning. We, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. We are in Matthew chapter 6. Isn't that amazing? We made it through chapter 5. It's only taken us how many months to get through Matthew chapter 5? <laughs> It not, it's not been seven months. So. I know. I'm playing devil's advocate. Okay. We'll, we'll talk later about what playing devil's advocate actually means. Um, <clears throat> All right. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Okay, we're going we're gonna to stop at verse 6, and we're going to talk about hypocrisy, because then Jesus changes, he pivots, and starts giving further instruction on prayer. Okay, and, then, and, and hopefully, maybe, maybe, we'll see. We'll try and get there today, uh, which would be great. That would be awesome. Okay, so, Jesus says, when you do the things you're supposed to do, Notice he's not telling us not to give to the poor, and he's not telling us not to pray. We should be doing both of those things. All of us should be doing both of those things. You would be the primary sin mentioned in the Old Testament is not taking care of the less fortunate than ourselves. It's the sin, other than with worshiping of idols... It is the big sin that God is always mentioning when he talks to his people, when he talks to the nations, when he pronounces judgment. For instance, when he pronounced judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, in the book of Ezekiel, we learn that the reasons for God pronouncing judgment. In our, I was always taught when I was a kid that God pronounced judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah because there was a lot of homosexuality going on there. But that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that what was... And there may have been homosexuality going on there. And that's, that, that is an issue, of course. But, uh, but that's not why God pronounced judgment. In Ezekiel, God it says that God pronounced judgment because they didn't care about the poor because they were cruel to each other and to because they were proud and haughty and ignored the things that God had told them to do. So you can go and look at that. It is a fascinating uh, thing to think about. But, um, so we should be taking care of the poor. That's a very big deal. A lot of Jesus' ministry was focused on helping people who, are, who do not have as much money as the rest. I think the church has to its detriment, forgot how much Jesus talked about this. It was quite a central tenet of his ministry, and we need to remember that. Um, but even when we do, oh, and he talks about prayer a lot too, so these are the two kind of, these are two very big deals for Jesus. But when we do these things that Jesus wants us to do, he does not want us to do them in such a way that everybody sees and everybody knows and people are congratulating us and patting us on the back. Way to go. Your prayer life is amazing. I'm so excited about how much you gave to the poor the other day. I'm so excited about the great contribution that you made. And Jesus, I'm sure, even though he only really mentions those two things, he does actually also talk about beware of practicing your righteousness before men. So... He would, he would include any other thing that, is, that we would call be practicing righteousness. If we are doing things that God wants us to do because it will bring a claim and glory to us, we have already received our reward and God has no further reward for us. Does this make sense? Okay. 
This is the problem. This is the issue. The people that existed in Jesus' day and time, the Pharisees were well-known, and they had a specific kind of outfit that they would wear. You could tell a Pharisee when they walked down the street. Well, that's a Pharisee. Okay? They made their, there's another, there's another passage that's, that where Jesus talks about, they make their phylacteries wide and their prayer tassels long. Okay? They're out, okay, the, a phylactery was a box, a small box, that you would roll up some scripture and put it in the box, and then you would tie it on your wrists, on your head, somewhere else on your body, because in the Old Testament it says, bind this word to you. And they, so they took it extremely literally, and they actually took the Bible and wrapped it on their bodies. How do you spell it starts with a PH, I think. Uh, Jewish people still do this to this day. And in fact, they, they, often, they often have um, a thing on the door of the house. Because in that same passage where it says to, to, it says to bind it to you, it also says, yes, yep, yep, exactly. Um, it also says to put it on the doorposts of your home. And so they wrap up little scrolls of scripture, usually the Ten Commandments or the Shema, you know, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Okay. Um, uh, they tie that, tie that up into a little thing and, and then they put that on the doorposts. And, and, uh, and so as they come in the door to honor it, often they'll, often they'll kiss their fingers and then touch it as they walk through the door. Because they're reminding themselves of their dedication to God. And if you've ever seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, if you've never seen the movie Fiddler on the Roof, you need to go right now and watch Fiddler on the Roof. It is a musical, I'll warn you. It's a musical. It's a wonderful musical, though. It's also three hours long, and there are definitely some deeply depressing parts in it. <laughs> but it's wonderful. It's a story of a, of a poor Jewish family in Russia um, uh, before World War I. And, uh, and um, kind of the, the life, you know, as, as the world is changing around them, but they're trying to hold on to their tradition and, and what that looks like. It's brilliant. And this guy, the main character, his name is Tevya, and he is a, he's a dairy farmer. And uh, he has five daughters, which in Jewish culture, having no sons is a deeply problematic thing. Um, and, he, and he has five daughters. And I love it. I love it. But in that, he wears a prayer shawl with, um, uh, with tassels all the time. All the time. It's a part of his clothing at all times. He wears a prayer shawl. So they have a prayer shawl. And that they used to wear it back then, and, and some people would have quite dramatic prayer shawls with big long tassels, and some people would just have you know a prayer shawl that was you know just, uh, and Jesus was always after people that were outwardly religious, but what was going on inside? They practiced their religion extremely well. But where were they on the inside? What was going on in their hearts? 
And Jesus was constantly telling people, don't be like them. They may be outwardly religious. You see, the, the, the culture of Jesus' time really looked up to the Pharisees. Pharisees were considered to be uh, the, the creme de la creme of the religious institution in the Jewish world. Okay? The cream of the cream. It's a, it's a thing. Anyway, um, <clears throat> the top of the top, the most important, the, the, the best of the best, yes. What is creme de la creme? Creme de la creme, it means the cream of the cream, okay? When you leave milk out, the cream rises to the top. But this isn't just the cream, this is the cream of the cream. But what is the, creme de la creme, isn't that something? Creme de la creme is, it's, it's French and it's, it means the cream of the cream. No, creme de la croix is not a thing. I'm almost positive that's a thing. No, you're, you're thinking je ne sais quoi, which means <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's usually like when you say, when you say, when you say like je, je ne sais quoi, it usually means he has a certain je ne sais quoi, which means I don't know what. Just, that's what it means. It means it's, it's, it's like about a charisma that they have. Anyway. Anywho, it's, I think it's Q-U-A, isn't it? <laughs> wow. It's an alcoholic beverage. Now we know. Now we know. Now we know. All of a sudden, it all becomes clear. On those flatteries that you said that they would wear, like I saw one where the one that would have like a little box on their head, and then yes. they, when you talked about like it looked, the picture looked like there were bells tied on yes. their arm. Did they like wear that even when they like shower? They would usually no. They would usually wear it when they're going to pray or to synagogue, um. or if you ever went to the Wailing Wall in Israel, which I've never been to Israel. I want to go so bad, but I've never been able to go. That a lot of the Orthodox Jewish people that are there will have these big wrapped up phylacteries and they're, you know, praying in front of the wall. And, yeah, same people pray. And then they have those long, those long curls on the sides of their faces, you know, where they don't cut this hair right here and it comes down and it's all curly. Okay, and, and they, they always keep their heads covered, which is another, another um, uh, tradition. And... In the in in the movie in in the uh, in Fiddler on the Roof, the very first song is all about tradition because he's he talks about how hard it is to live life as a Jewish person in that culture, and he said it's like a fiddler on a roof trying to scratch out a simple tune without breaking his neck. And he says, but how do you keep your balance? Tradition is this whole song, and I, I do it to my kids all the time. Whenever we have traditions at home, I'm like, tradition, tradition. Like it's like, oh, stop that! But it's a no, great I movie. Why it's, called it's wonderful. I love it. I watched I it a thousand times. Okay, that well, yeah. And there is a there is a fiddler who you often see on the roof, who is a symbol of tradition and of the Jewish way of life, who just appears at different times in the movie. But only Tevya can see him. Anyway, it's 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 a great movie. I would recommend it to anyone. Um, <clears throat> I love it. You know, we have to watch uh, the 
No, the uh, the boy in the striped pajamas. No, <laughs> stop. <laughs> the one movie, the the with the bunnies, and that the cop. <laughs> you, you talked about it a lot, and I can't remember what it's called. A movie with the bunnies. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like the historical funny movie. <laughs> There's. Are you talking about? Uh, uh, the Holy Grail, uh, yes, Monty Python, and the There's only one bunny in that. <laughs> and he is funny, but there's only one. There's only one bunny. He's quite vicious, but there, there is only one. One. <laughs> He's like, what the rabbit? <laughs> Who? No, they don't name the bunny. Well, at first, have you ever seen the, the movie Us? Yes. When you said the bunnies, I thought you were talking about that. I was, oh, I was like, that's yeah. a creepy movie. <laughs> they eat bunnies. Oh, that is a creepy, creepy movie. I loved it. Yeah. I, I like creepy movies, but that is a, that is a creepy. Us? Ooh, that movie will mess with your head. Huh? Yeah. That oh, I love that movie. Racist, because they auctioned him off. Well, you like Get Out? That's the point. That's the point. I know, but they're racist. They're just a bunch of racists. Some of them are, yeah. But that's that's, that's the point. No, Get Out is a great film. It's a good movie, but it's just racist. Well, us, us was made by. Okay, but then aren't the Nazis racist? They're anti-Semitic. What's the difference? It's just a flavor of racism, what is isn't it? <laughs> well, it's usually vanilla people who end up being racist. Um, all right. So, hypocrisy. All right. So, how do we apply this to our lives? Here's the question. How do you apply this to your lives? Because you're not wearing phylacteries. You don't have long tassels. You're not going, you're not walking down the street, right? You're not walking down the street. You know, praying on the street corners. Oh, God, you're not doing that. Okay. So how do we, because don't tell me hypocrisy does not still exist. It absolutely does. And Jesus is warning us against it. So what are the manifestations of hypocrisy in our generation? What is manifestation? Okay, how does, how does... Manifestation means to make something visible or tangible, you know, that you can see it or feel it. So, how do we see how, how, where does hypocrisy show its ugly head? Everywhere. Well, how? Talk about it. Yeah. How? Okay, but in what way? In what ways does that happen? Too many to count. <laughs> Pick one. Go ahead. Oof. Well, that's a conversation we can have for sure. And we already have a little bit in this class. Um, but yeah, I do find it interesting that people that, that a lot of people that are pro-life really care about babies until they're born. But after they're born, it's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, infant, right? Yeah, that's an issue for me too. You had one. You forgot it already? It was like 30 seconds ago. I appreciate your focus and the way you listened actively. That's important. Yeah. Could one be when like people 
say they want um uh, say they want like revival and stuff and like a new uh, like a new outpouring and stuff but then they um they don't like live it out in their personal lives absolutely we have people that are saying they want revival they want an outpouring of the spirit but we have a prayer meeting do they show up <laughs> no they don't show up we have and and even worse are they showing up to the prayer meeting in their own rooms every day you know what I mean? Are they getting, are they upping their own personal prayer life? Don't tell me you want to move with the Spirit, but then not be willing to spend any time reading any extra time. I'm not, I'm not even talking about the minimum. I'm talking about extra time, reading your Bible, and praying every day. How do you think move of the Spirit is going to come? The other issue is when we start talking about a move of the Spirit, and then we begin to see a move of the Spirit that is that doesn't look the way we want it to, then we're like, well, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. A few years ago, and this breaks my heart utterly, but a few years ago, there was something happening in the state of Indiana. People were giving their lives to Jesus, and churches were coming together to pray and to worship and to go out on the streets and tell people about Jesus. And so I was all excited because that thing was coming to Fort Wayne, and First Assembly was going to host it. Praise the Lord. And we were going to be connecting with pastors all across the region and churches all across the region. We were going to be spending time in prayer and, 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 uh, and worship. And then we were going to go out on the streets and we were going to talk to people about Jesus. We were going to do that every day for, for a week and it ended up being three weeks. Something like 800 people gave their lives to Jesus in the streets of Fort Wayne during those three weeks. Okay. But there were people who I knew who had been praying for revival for years, decades, that didn't show up one time to any of those meetings because it wasn't quite what they thought. And I am gonna t I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to prophesy in this room this morning. And I've said it before, but I will say it again. I believe with all of my heart we are on the edge of another great move of the Holy Spirit in this nation. I believe it's coming soon. I don't know how soon that is, but I believe it's coming soon. But I also believe that what God wants to do in your generation is going to be highly offensive to some of the generations that have gone before. I believe that God is going to move in places and on and with people that some of the generations that have gone before consider to be disqualified, unqualified, not the right people, not the people that a move of God should be happening with, quote unquote. Okay. I believe the next move of God is going to be like almost every other move of God in history. It's going to happen, not with those people who are devoutly religious, but it's going to begin in places where God is not now named. Where God is what? Where God is not loved right now. But the, there's going to begin, a move of the Spirit will begin. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a move of God that we now refer to as the Jesus people. 
And the Holy Spirit began to move amongst young people on college campuses and in places like San Francisco. Oh my gosh, how can God move in San Francisco? I mean, back then, San Francisco was the heart of the hippie counterculture movement. But that is where the revival broke out, was right in the midst of a bunch of hippies and countercultural people. And so these kids are getting saved, sometimes at school, sometimes in the street, sometimes at these big rallies that were taking place. And then they were showing up at church with their long hair and beards and bare feet and not showering. And churches were like, (laughs) and they didn't allow people to come in. And some churches, including the church that existed in this building, not, I mean, First Assembly did too, I, I assume, I don't really know, but... Calvary Temple was the church that built this building that we're sitting in right now. And they became a large church because they saw what the Holy Spirit was doing and said yes to it. And they made a space in their congregations for barefooted, long-haired people. Okay, People that were coming in looking different, smelling different, talking different than the people that were already a part of their church because they recognized the move of the Holy Spirit. And if you go back and look through the history of the great moves of the Holy Spirit, that has almost always been the case, including the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus had, they said, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what was Jesus' response? Well, it is the, it is the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. Right? And if we are people who care about the things that Jesus cares about, we care about them too. And I believe with all my heart that a move of the Spirit is about to begin in this nation. But I also, well, I actually believe it's already begun. But I think there are going to be political aspects to it and cultural aspects to it that a lot of churches are going to outright reject. And because of that, they will miss the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, I really feel like um, what you just like prophesied to um, was like clarification from the Lord. What in my prayer time three weeks ago, what I felt like um, I've not been the same since then. Like I felt this excitement and this happiness about what you just said. About what you just said when it came to like a move of God is coming soon, and when you said like the political aspects of it, I've had. That's what God showed me. God showed me that, like, people are going to reject this move of God because, oh, we're under one of the most liberal presidents and vice presidents that we're ever going to be under, and Oof. people are going to deny that it's going to happen. And um, that's been so heavy on my heart because I'm excited for this move of God, but I don't want these Christians to miss it because of, and right. I just feel like that was clarification. Yeah, and I think that's a warning that needs to go out to the church across. Amen. Uh, it's a warning that needs to go out to the church in the United States of America that God, God has begun to move yeah. and that it, we are going to miss it if we let something like that get in our way. Yeah. And so we shouldn't do that. Jesus, so what are some other ways hypocrisy is manifested? Well, Don't forget it. Don't forget it. I'll bring up a specific example my household at home. Be careful. I will. I love my dad. Great guy. Yes. He's a, he's a really big hypocrite. Um, because 
He is, and he's not really. I I wouldn't necessarily say he's a Christ follower, so not really in that aspect, mm. but just like in general, um, because like him and my brother, their personalities are exactly alike, um, and so they butt heads a lot because like the not so good qualities of their personality, and so they butt heads a lot, and it's so funny because I'll go upstairs and my brother will talk about argument that he just had with my dad. And he'd be like, yeah, and he was doing this, and he just gets loud, and he doesn't let me speak my mind at all. But every time I have an argument with my brother, that's exactly what he does to me. <laughs> and so my dad will do the same thing. He'll talk about my brother. He said, yeah, he just doesn't listen to anyone else he cares about is himself, and, and he'll, he'll, he tries to cut me off all the time. And I'm just like, are you? Right. Like, we we get angry when people don't allow us to speak, but then we don't allow people to speak either. Yeah, yes, that's, that's hypocrisy. Yeah. Okay, what was it? Go. Okay. The first part is um, like, That right there is exactly what we're talking about, where we will go to church, we'll sing the songs, we'll raise the hands, hallelujah, glory to God, we'll amen the preacher. And then we go out and we treat our server at, at the restaurant like absolute garbage. We don't tip them enough. We aren't kind to them. We cannot say that we're followers of Jesus and look nothing like Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're a fan of Jesus. Woo, Jesus is a cool dude. But it, you aren't a follower of his unless you begin to take on his, his nature, his character. We begin to be a people who, are, who love God. I've been, a series, been in a series at my church on the spiritual gifts. And I've spent way more time talking about the how of the delivery of the gifts then about then about the like this is what prophecy is and this is what tongues is and, and we spend time doing that too but we can so get it wrong so often and if we aren't operating in love we're wrong we are we are not only are, do the gifts become useless but they become can become a weapon that the enemy uses to damage the church and to damage the reputation of Christ in the community. And you're right. When it comes to, uh, I ha we, we've got to learn to be kind. Okay, there's a reason why the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody name them for me. Come on. Love Who's got it? Peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, and self-control. You forgot gentleness. Yes. Nicely done. Okay. Which, by the way, the truth is, the word fruit there is singular. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love? No. Love. Period. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are just descriptions of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Does that make sense? Our love for God and our love for each other, is that not what Jesus taught us? Love of enemy that we spent so much time talking about last week. We are hypocrites if we don't love. Let me tell you another way that I see hypocrisy all the time, and that is in the area of forgiveness. Okay? Forgiveness. We want God to forgive us from all of our sins, right? We're constantly saying, Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. But then we look at the world, we look at people we love, and we're not willing or able to forgive them. St. Francis of Assisi is one of, he's a pretty wild dude. No, St. Francis of Assisi. Assisi is... I thought you said I saw Francis at No, no. St. Francis. Sorry. They said, he, there's some crazy stories about him, but one of the, the thing that they say about him is he walked the world as the pardon of God. What that means is that everyone he encountered was being was receiving grace and forgiveness from God. Every person that he encountered, everywhere that he went, he just carried grace like a cloud around him so that when you were encountered by him, all of a sudden, all the stuff that you'd done that had put been put up as obstacles between you and God, it would just go away. Why? Because Jesus already forgave you. Here's the incredible thing, and this is the, what the Bible teaches, that Jesus forgave every single sin of every single person when he died on the cross. That does not mean that every single person has accepted that forgiveness. Okay? That's not, but that's not how forgiveness works. If you did something to me, Ross, mm -hmm. I was mad at you. Okay? And then I forgave you. Mm -hmm. Do you have any choice about whether or not I have forgiven you? Um, yeah. no. 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 If I forgive you, you can't stop me. That is true, yes. You can't stop me from forgiving you? Yeah. How do we think we can f stop God from forgiving us? Mm. We can't. Like no! Don't forgive me. But that doesn't mean that our relationship is fixed. Right? Mm -hmm. Because if I come to you and I say, you know what, that hurt my feelings, but I forgive you. And you're like, I don't care. Go away. I don't like you. That we're still not in relationship with each other. Yeah. Even though I've forgiven you. Yeah. Okay? It's the same thing with God. God has extended forgiveness to all. It's done. He did it in Jesus. It's over. But have we been reconciled to God? And that's what the Apostle Paul says, speaking as an ambassador of Christ, I compel you, be reconciled to God. God's already forgiven you. Now be reconciled to him. 
right? He's saying, okay, you're already forgiven everything that stood between you and God. All of those, all of that stuff, Jesus took care of it all. There is nothing standing now between you and God. Just come and let's be reconciled. Though your sins were as scarlet, they're as white as snow. It's done. So the good news is actually news. It's not advice. The news is you're forgiven already. It's done. Now you can begin a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And it's the relationship with God that saves us. Okay, but are we that way towards people who have sinned against us? That's the question. Are we extending forgiveness before it's asked? Are we extending forgiveness? I talked last week. This has very much to do with love of enemy. And I talked last week about my trip to Mexico City and how I saw those pimps and I wanted to punch them in the face. And the Lord said, guess what? I love them too. And I was like, no, you can't love them. There, they have, they have these women in sexual slavery. How can you love them? And Jesus was like, wow, I love you, so. <laughs> That's kind of like a slap on the wrist moment from Jesus. Well, like, Jesus wow. does that to me quite a bit. <laughs> Are we a people who offer pardon to the world? Even people we disagree with, even people that are actively enemies toward us. Because that's who we should be. We should be walking the world as the pardon of God. Why? Because we've been pardoned by God. So now we carry the pardon of God to hand out whenever we choose, everywhere we go. Guess what? You're forgiven. And we take what they did to us and we take it and we nail it to the cross right up next to our sins because I'm not better than you. I'm just as much in need of God's forgiveness and grace as you are. But we forget. It's awfully quiet in here. There's a lot of ways to be a hypocrite. Judging other people for sins that we ourselves have committed is probably the biggest one. Counting myself as quote-unquote better than someone else. Because I have Jesus and they don't because I've been taught the way of Jesus and they haven't. That is hypocrisy at work right there. And the minute we approach anyone having that in our heads, well, I'm better than them. I had a conversation with someone I deeply respect, and they were talking about a political person that they deeply disrespected. And they said to me, I don't know why God doesn't just kill her. I was shocked to my core when I looked at him and said, do you really think you're better than she is? So I'll tell you right now, you ain't. (laughs) 
we get to use $20 words and we get to use, you know, like you ain't. You know, big words that I have to just then define for you. Later. Uh, <laughs> on a scale of one to infinity, how shocked were you when they said that? I was, I don't know, I mean, 890,000 or something. I don't know. I was extremely shocked. Blown away because this, this person is not a person who I deem as being vengeful, angry. That's not who they are. So to hear that come out of their mouth about another human being, I was completely shocked. Because as Christians, we shouldn't wish, we're not supposed to wish to like harm on people. Okay, Ephesians. I'm going to have to look it up. I want to say it's chapter 6. Yep, I was right. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh, and against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness and heavenly places. Okay. Do you know what that means? That means two things. Number one, we have an enemy. And number two, that enemy is not a human. Yeah. When I went to uh, Atlanta for Passion, I was touring, not touring, so I was walking around like the, all the Martin Luther King stuff. Yes. And uh, he has, like, it has the principles up there. And I took the, a picture of principle three, and it was just like, um, nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. Um, nonviolence recognizes that evildoers are also victims and are not evil people. The nonviolent resistor seeks to defeat evil, not people. Come on. And it says choose nonviolence. And I was like, man, that's some good stuff. That is good. And I was like, I, I, I said, Ephesians. Why is it? Is it Ephesians? Ephesians. Well, the the name of the town the name of the town is Ephesus, in Greek. Dang, I'm confused. Like, I just if it so, so <laughs> Ephesians okay, yeah, would be the correct probably. Yes, that's what, like, as said, but uh, that's exactly right. And that's what it, one of the things I love about Dr. King is. See, Dr. King was a was a ardent follower of Jesus, and all of his passion about seeing equality and equanimity brought to people of all races, all religions, all tribes that came directly from his relationship with Jesus and his understanding of the gospel. His ser if you go read his sermons, he's, he was a truly powerful preacher and a prophet, and he was calling out the United States to live up to its potential, but he would not become an enemy of the people who stood against him. He refused. He said, I will not allow this to go on without protesting against it. But I recognize that this evil system has made victims of all of us, not just black people, but white people as well. Which is why, guys, you are as much a victim of toxic masculinity as the ladies in this room. Might be more obvious with the ladies, but it is true of you because when you take on a toxic, a toxic mentality around masculinity, you are harming yourself. 
Okay, the idea of whiteness across the board is a destructive, sinful idea. It is harming us all. No matter what color our skin is, the concept of whiteness is a destructive concept that is fighting against all of us. And we as lovers of Jesus stand against the system, stand against the power, stand against the principalities and powers and rulers of authority in heavenly places. But when we see another human being, even if they are fully taking on the value system of those systems and those, and those, king, and those principalities, they are still not our enemy. Okay, how many of you have seen The Matrix? So you've heard of it. I'm sorry. I can't say I've that heard makes of me it. sad. I just heard of the stinking name. Sure. Yeah, that's literally the definition of hearing of it. It is phenomenal, but there is a there's a moment in there's a moment. This is not at all a this is not at all a spoiler. Okay. There's a moment in the film where they're walking down the street because this is training. They're walking down the street and this stunning woman in a red dress goes walking by and Keanu Reeves' character is kind of like, whoa. And then he turns around and there's a agent with a gun to his head. And he says, are you listening to me, Neo? Or are you looking at the woman in the red dress? And he says, this was all about telling you that every single person in the matrix, though they are human beings, that are infected with the matrix. And the agents of the matrix can inhabit them and become a danger to you. Okay, that is real. We live in a world, live in a world that is run largely by principalities, powers, and spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. All around us, there is an invisible enemy. And let me say this to you, because there is more to this conversation than the, than the little demons that we think about that show up on like, you know, ghost hunters, okay? Or, all right. Um, I am talking about forces of wickedness in heavenly places that have built what the Bible calls strongholds. And that word stronghold Okay, means a system of ideas that exists in what we call the zeitgeist. Anybody familiar with that term? The zeitgeist means the spirit of the age. That you were born into and you grew up in a culture that has ideas that are connected with Jesus, but also that has ideas that are radically set themselves against Jesus. Ideas that were born of spiritual forces of wickedness. Whiteness is one of those ideas. But so is the glamorization of wealth and youth and sex. So is there are so many deeply embedded cultural ideas that we just don't even recognize. They are just happening 
in the background all the time. They have built the world we live in, and it takes Holy Spirit eyes to see that, hey, that's not okay. If you had talked to people even, you know, 1960s, 1950s, etc., and you had said to them, white people are better than black people, a lot of people would have said, well, of course they are. Of course they are. They never would have thought, they never would have thought for one minute that there was, that, that idea was, was anything but true. It's the, their whole culture had taught them that since the moment that they were born. By the way, our culture is still teaching us that, but it's just a lot more subtle now than it used to be. That was a foundation stone of the way that they saw the world. And so when somebody came along and said, hey, this foundation stone is not a good foundation stone. This foundation stone needs to be pried up and taken away. There was a whole bunch of people that had nothing at all against individual black people. They knew, pe they knew black people. They had friends that were black people, etc. But they're not okay. That is a foundation. So you can't move that. That is true at its core. You can't mess with that, Rhea. That is the, that is the, Rhea, that is truth. And here's Dr. King going, nope, this is born of a principality and a power and a force of wickedness in, a hev in heavenly places. And we've got to uproot it because we are the church. And Jesus is not okay with us looking at different human beings and saying one is worth more than another. It takes a prophetic imagination to be able to see things like that. But you're going every time something like that is gets said, you're swimming upstream because the air we breathe is laden with this idea. And you've been hearing that idea your whole life, and you personally have no you have no clue how deep that idea is embedded in your very nervous system. And for me to talk about it, it becomes a threat. When I begin to talk about, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> Last week, when I began to talk about enemy love, okay, that message unsettles people. Why? Because even though we would say, well, I don't want anyone else to die. We also, at the same time, believe that we should be meeting enemies with violent force. They want to take from me. They want to hurt me. They want to do whatever. And I need to be ready to meet them. When I say Jesus is not okay with that, it makes people mad. Why? Because that's a foundation stone. Don't move that foundation stone. What are you talking about? When I begin talking about how much money the United States government spends on guns and bombs and planes and whatever, and I'm like, you know what? That money could be really well spent in other places. People are like, ha, 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 ha. why? Because that's a foundation stone. Hey, we worship, it. we worship Mars in this country. And you don't get to tell me not to. Mars is the Roman god of war, by the way. No, the planet's named after the Roman god of war. Why did they name him, why did they name him after the god of war? Because it looks red. Blood. Oh, okay. 
That's why? But for us to think that we personally don't have foundation stones in our lives that do not come to us from Christ, we are blinding ourselves and we are saying to the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to continue on in my hypocrisy because it's too dangerous to my way of life to think differently about these things. When Jesus starts to call out hypocrisy, it stirs us up, it makes us upset, it messes with our heads because he's messing with the foundation stones. When the Apostle Paul says, our, only, our foundation is, the, is, is Jesus as the chief cornerstone, and then it's built by the apostles and prophets, we need to be taking ourselves off of that foundation and building a new life on a new foundation, which is exactly what Jesus' parable about the house that's built on the rock is all about. If you think he was giving architectural advice, you have missed the point. We need to be building our house on the things that cannot be shaken. And those things are the ways and the teachings and the, and the, and the character and nature of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Because everything, the Bible says this, that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But Jesus will not be shaken. So here's a clue. If you're feeling shaken, you probably don't have all of your weight on the right foundation. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that this is like really where my brain kind of like runs wild because like I have my, like I have what I live by yeah. and I have like my personal standards, Yeah. but I also don't think that government should be able to dictate those things. Amen. So then like, how do you, it's really hard for me to separate the two because it's like when we talk about um, like how we approach our enemies and stuff like that. Um, and then when you consider war and like protecting the country and that kind of stuff, um, it's like, like I know that we can't necessarily just like sit back and say like, God's got it, you know? Right. Um, but then it's just like how, like, I don't know how to... Like, how do you do both? Sure. Well, we live in a world, okay, that is run by those principalities and powers and forces of wickedness in heavenly places, etc. And that means nations who have nuclear weapons are run by those forces, including this one. Um, yes, including this one. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have even built those weapons if we weren't run by those forces. And in Jesus' kingdom, it says the, the swords will be beaten into plowshares and the nations will not study war anymore. And that's during the millennium, right? Well. Or what? The, the, the 
depends on depends on your eschatological uh, imagination. I we're not going to go there. We're just saying that that's Jesus' goal. That's where we're headed. That's what Jesus wants is a peaceable kingdom. So how do we as Christians think about the military in the United States of America? That's a great question. I don't have answers for that. Okay. I, I love the, the, uh, the separation of church and state. I want it to stay that way. I want, in fact, I'd like to see a little more of it. Um, I don't think that the government can legislate morality. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't want Christians sitting in the White House or in the Congress or in the whatever. But I don't want them trying to legislate people into being followers of Jesus. I just want to see... I want to see government using its power on the sake of those who have the least amount of power. Which is what the Founding Fathers talked about. That's really what they wanted. Was they wanted government to just be uh, the leveling field of a culture. To where there are people that are being mowed over by the... By others who have power and they don't, that the government would be bringing their voice to the forefront and everyone's getting thought about and everyone's getting taken care of, and everybody's being protected, that their rights, that the government's job is to protect the rights of even those who cannot protect their own rights. So, do we need to have the ability to defend ourselves as a nation? Obviously, we do. We have people that would love to come and take all the things we have. and not I don't like that. I don't want that to happen. But we live in a broken world that is governed by principalities and powers and forces of weakness in heavenly places. So, so we have to recognize that, and we have to be ready to defend ourselves. And some people would take that another step. And I don't know how I feel about this, but some people would take that another step and say, not only do we need to be able to protect ourselves, but when we see injustice in the world, we need to be able to flex our military might into those places and end injustice. The only problem with that idea in the history of the American uh, military is that we almost never flex our military might on behalf of black and brown people. We'll do it for white folks, but we have not really done it for others, or for third world countries, or for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is that if you trace the histories of the megalomaniacs like Hitler and Stalin, et cetera, they were born of a culture that had deep financial and power disparities. So there was a few people at the top with a whole lot of money and there was a, but the most of the country was starving to death. And so the most of the country realized, kind of like in A Bug's Life, have you ever seen that? <laughs> right? They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a lot more of us than there are of them. If we just stood together, we could overthrow them. And they, there was someone, whether it be Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or Pol Pot, or uh, what's his name from China? I can't think of his name right now. Uh, North Korea, um, Kim Jong-un. Did it start with an M? 
Mao, Chairman Mao, okay, who stood up and, and became the lead voice and was empowered by the masses to make decisions and then they did what power does to all human beings and they got deeply corrupt and began to go beyond what their power was meant to do, which was even the scales. The real genius of the forefathers of this country was to say, okay, we know power corrupts, so we're going to spread power out and we're not going to let one person have power for very long. So you get to be president for four years. Later on, we, we stopped it at eight because we had had FDR for, he got reelected three times. And then he died in his last. So are, you, so are you saying that, like with all these famous dictators in the world, when you say that like, um, there were certain people here who were like rich and rich and rich and rich and rich and, um, and there were certain people like in their countries that were like financially hurting or like hungry. Um, so with Hitler, are you saying that like, the, uh, I want to make sure I'm processing this right. So with Hitler, was he looking at like the Jews making all this money and um, everybody else in the country starving? So like he wanted to even the scales, but obviously when- Well, the situation in Germany was, was a little different. Yeah. Because what you had in Russia was an oligarchy. In other words, there were very, very wealthy upper class, and the lower class was much, much, much larger, so they rose up and overthrew the upper class. In Germany, we had gone through World War I, and the entirety of Europe was ticked off at the Germans because they had started World War I, and there had been all these problems. Yeah. So they, put, they, they wrecked the German economy, the, the Treaty of Versailles, wrecked the German economy to the point where almost everybody in Germany was starving, yeah. not doing well, they, and they were really ticked off about it. So when a voice came that was saying Germany for the Germans and pointed a finger at the Jews and said they're the real problem, everybody was willing to listen. Yeah. Okay. So here's what I want you to pay attention to in the future, okay. and maybe in the past. When someone rises up to be the voice of the angry majority and points the finger at another group of people and says, they're your problem. Yeah. We're in danger. Big red flags should wave. Not okay. Not okay. Not okay. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or not. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> so, so, you're say, so you're saying like when people come, when people come and whether they're a politician or not, and you're like, oh, um, I can fix your problem for, I can fix your problem for you, I know who the problem is, these people over here yeah. that's making your lives like crap, and stuff like that, so you're saying, people that use that type of language, saying yes. that they're the point who points the finger, that's a red flag. Yeah, anytime we see someone who is setting up an us versus them mentality, we as Christians should say, that's not okay. All right? Whenever we're setting, whenever, whenever you hear someone, even if they're a pastor in a pulpit, setting up an us, we're the righteous minority and here's the unrighteous majority or whatever, or we're, the, we're really the righteous majority who just hasn't spoken for so long, we've been silent, but then there's this 
minority of people that are, anytime it becomes an us versus them, whenever anyone in our culture is, is dehumanized, we have lost, we've lost. Whenever anyone is encouraging you to look at another human being and see them as less than you, we have walked right out of what Jesus taught us. Because Jesus taught us to love God and love our neighbor. So if that means somebody's pointing at someone who has a different political view than you and saying they're evil, they're corrupt, they're whatever, they deserve to be punished by God. No, uh, 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 no. The way we talk about that is they have some really broken ideas and we need to be praying that God helps them to see something. But the way we, the way we bring people, there's a book which I'm excited to read. I have not read it yet, but I'm really interested in reading it called The Righteous Mind. It's written by a non-Christian psychologist, but he's looking at what has happened in this country and the way we've become so polarized. And he realizes that what we've got is two groups of people who both believe themselves to be righteous, who are pointing the finger at the other group of people and saying, they're the unrighteous ones for whatever reason. Okay. On the right tends to be about, they are, you know, when, you know, uh, uh, they are illegal immigrants. So they've broken the law. They are, uh, they are homosexuals or people that have a different view of, of, of human sexuality than I do. And so that they are evil. They are people that support abortion. So they are evil people. They are people that, uh, have a sense of entitlement that people that have not worked should be taken care of anyway. That's not okay. I work hard for my money. Right? So, so I'm righteous because I don't want to kill babies. I'm righteous because I don't want to give money to people that haven't earned it. I'm righteous because I'm standing up for my rights to own a gun. I'm righteous because I, was born here and I already had citizenship even though I did nothing to earn it. And I pay my taxes, so I'm righteous, so they're evil. Now let me do the same thing for the left. Can I do that? Okay, can I do that? Okay, because I wanna be fair. People on the left are like, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you are a person who wants to take away a woman's ability to decide what she's gonna do with her own body. They say, you wanna keep poor people in poverty they say, you don't care that just because you have good health care, no one else does. They say a whole lot of things just like that. Okay. So the people on the left are like, and I'm righteous because I care about these people, because I care about these things, because I don't want to see racism continue because I don't want to. I'm righteous and you're unrighteous because you care more about yourself than you do about anyone else. Okay, you've got two groups of quote-unquote righteous people that both sides deeply believe in their own righteousness. And when somebody says, you know, people on the other side are actually righteous too, they're like, are you kidding me? Don't you know that they think this and they feel this and they want this and can you blah, 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 blah. And then they say horrifying things about each other, things that no human should ever say about another human. I just got to say this right now. The kinds of things that I see Christian, especially men, saying about Kamala Harris online, I want to reach through the internet and strangle these people. How dare you? You're going to call her a whore? You're going to call her... Uh, you don't know anything about this woman. 
She is a black woman with an opinion, so I guess, yeah, I understand why you're threatened. White man. Sorry. I'm sorry if I let my, uh, but that upset me. But I'm telling you right now, if there was somebody on, if there was somebody on the right, and there are a lot of people on the right, when you hear, when you look at what some of the people on the left said about President Trump, things that were just plain not true, it made me just as angry. Because that's not how we do things. We love each other. And Jesus said, in the kingdom of God, the way we lead is we serve. We wash feet. We heal the sick. We provide for the poor. We take care of the people that are in prison. In the kingdom of heaven, if you want to lead in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be the servant of everyone, even and especially the people that radically disagree with you. So what I would love to see is I'd love to see the church looking, whatever side they're on, looking at people on the other side of the spectrum saying, hey, I love you. What can I do to make your life a little better? In this book, The Righteous Mind, like I said, I haven't read it yet. I need to read it. I haven't read it yet, but this is the way it was. This is the, the descriptor that I got from my friend who was like, you have to read this. So they were saying the only way to actually change anyone's mind to become their friend actually listen to them and begin to ask questions and here's the really scary part you have to be willing to have your mind changed as well but I'm the righteous one are you? Are you? Jesus talks about hypocrisy. He's pointing at the natural human inclination to use God and religion to make us feel better about ourselves than other people. To make us feel justified about ourselves, our choices, and our way of life. And for us to put other people under our feet so that we can stay in power with wealth, with comfort. That is what we do. We all do it. And Jesus is saying, that's not what love looks like. And it is another hard word from our wonderful Savior who is not condemning us. He's calling us out of darkness and into light. He's calling us out of these cul-de-sacs of thought which have only dead ends and which are not going to make us any more like Him. And He's calling us into true joy, life and life more abundant, Love for God and for each and for each other. Amen. Any last thoughts, questions, statements? <laughs> Those are welcome as well.
Anybody? Okay. Let's pray. I want to do a prayer exercise. Can we do that? It will not take long. Or we're going to engage our imaginations in the place of prayer. Can we do that? But we're going to, whether you like it or not. All right. Close your eyes. This is what I want you to do. I just want you right here in this place. I'm going to be, we're going to be silent for a few seconds. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus, ask the Father to show you one area of hypocrisy in your own life. Bring it to your mind. Holy Spirit, uncover, uncover the things that our sin has covered. Show it to us. I'm going to ask you a question that might sound a little weird, but I want you to hear it. Where does this live in your body? Whatever the Holy Spirit's showing you right now, where does that... Where are you feeling that the most? In your chest, in your stomach, in your head, in your throat? Sometimes it's in your throat. I'm not saying it's a demonic spirit, but, but emotions tend to get to live in certain places in our bodies. Where is that? Just feel yourself and find it. I want you to take your hand. I want you to put hand on that place. And we're going to go together to the foot of the cross. Let's go to the foot of the cross. In your mind's eye, I want you to go to the foot of the cross. Jesus is no longer on that cross, but we're going to go to the foot of the cross together. And I want you to ask Jesus to meet you there to come into that place to meet you there at the foot of the cross. I want you to say to him, you see this thing, Jesus. You, you showed it to me. You know about it. I want you to ask him, what will you give me in exchange for this? If I give this to you, what will you give me in exchange?
All right, now ask him, will you take this? Please, Jesus, take this. Take this from me. I give it to you, Jesus. I surrender it. Let him take it. Once that's firmly in his hands, then receive that thing that he wants to give you in exchange. Just receive that now by the Holy Spirit. Whatever Jesus gave you in exchange, put that where that hypocrisy lived. Put it in that place. Jesus, we thank you that you are the you are the one who takes our sin and gives us your righteousness. Thank you that you are the one who meets us at the cross, the place of exchange, and you receive our darkness and give us your light. Lord, right now I ask that whatever it is that we've given to you, that we would not take it back. We wouldn't take it back. We would cling on to the thing you gave us in exchange and we would be transformed by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.